Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Through 18 and 9, 14 through 17. And when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is a new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wine skins, and both are preserved. The grass withers and the flower fades. All right, thanks, James. Uh, Kids, we have Elevate today, and Mr. Neville is back there ready to rock and roll with first and second grade. I knew I'd get it right one of these days if I kept trying. So you guys can go out there with the Nevels, if you would like, and everybody else gets to stay in here this morning. We could talk about fasting. Woo, calm down. All right. Um, uh, and also, I want to take a moment. I meant to do this during the offering, because it doesn't go in the sermon, but it's worth celebrating. Uh, one of our elders, Joel Waymax, celebrating his birthday today. Yeah, I just won't have everybody sing. How's that? Till later. Um, all right. Uh, sometimes I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor uh, Darden this morning as he is he's preaching his first sermon down in uh, San Antonio, uh, filling in down there. Uh, he said to me one time, he said, you like to poke the bear, don't you? And I said, I don't like to poke the bear. I, I happen to poke the bear but I don't like it. I would rather the bear either stay asleep or the bear go, yeah, you know what? I agree. Um, I don't like when the bear fights back. Uh, but this morning, I'm going to tread on some sacred ground here. So I hope you're ready. Are you ready? All right. Um, praying before meals. Like, what are the guidelines? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you feel uncomfortable because you're like, well, how is that sacred ground? Well, because I, I so as, as usually the only pastor in the room at several barbecues and holiday feasts and all this kind of stuff, and people feel guilty, and they're like, ah, somebody should pray. And I'm like, all right, I already got one. Here we go. Um, and I've often thought a lot about what are the guidelines, what are the rules here about praying before we eat? Is it like a Writ script? 
I, can, I have my dad and my father-in-law down pat. I can tell you exactly what they're going to pray. I have their cadence. I have their words. And most of all, I have their endings, right? Hi, Dad. My dad's at home right now. Um, all right, so, uh, so, so let's get into this. Um, is it, do, you, do you pray only at home before meals, or, or do you pray only while you're out for meals, or do you do both? Do you pray just before dinner? Do you pray before lunch? Does anybody pray before breakfast? I've never, like, this is a confession. I don't, think I've, I don't think I've ever prayed before breakfast. I think coffee is my prayer. It is my crying out to God for the good things that he has given us. Um, what if you have guests over? Do you pray if you have guests over? Some of you are going to face this. If you have kids, do you pray if the kids have guests and friends? Do you like either interrupt, like normally you would pray, but the kids have friends over, so you don't want to do it to embarrass them? Or do the kids have friends over? This is an evangelistic opportunity. And, like, and your kids are like, we've never prayed before dinner before. Why are we doing it now? I told you we're going to hit sacred ground here. Do you pray when you're out to eat with other people? Do you pray when you're out to eat by yourself? Do you pray loud? Like when you're out to eat, do you pray loud enough so people can hear you? Um, perhaps the most controversial, and again, these are things that I've thought of and I wrestle with. If you go out for Mexican food, are you a pre-chip, mid-chip, or post-chip prayer? <laughs> These are things we need to talk about. As we need positions in the church. Somebody write up a position paper. Okay. Um, and so perhaps more important than that, uh, what do you pray? When you pray for a meal, what do you pray? I, I, okay, this is just mass confession is good for the soul. Uh, how many of your prayers before meals or that you grew up with contained the phrase or something very close to God bless this food for the nourishment of our bodies? Okay, okay. Everybody's like, dude, should I? I don't know if I should raise my hand on that. I went to a small Baptist school down in southwest Missouri, and we went through both. This is a small Christian school, which means uh, me and my roommates and friends went through both super spiritual times and super cynical times. That's what happens when you go to a Christian school. And, uh, and sometimes those worlds would meet. And one such time when those worlds met, one of my friends had been on a mission trip, so he was in a super spiritual time. And he was over at our house or our apartment, and one of my roommates had gone out to get McDonald's and was sitting down to eat. And the super spiritual friend looked and said, are you going to bless that? To which my roommate went, 
And once we got done with the eye rolls and the shut-ups and the mind-your-own-businesses, we had a nice, long conversation about some of the dumb things you talk about, uh, kind of along the lines of, like, can God create a rock so big that he can't lift it, right? <sighs> can and will God bless a quarter pounder with cheese to the nourishment of your body. Can God even do that? He's only God, right? Can he even turn whatever's in that thing and, and somehow, is God even capable, A, B, I, I, God is capable, but he, I don't think he would ever violate his own will, so I don't know that he would do it. B, should we ask God to take nourishment of our body? All right, fast forward several years to about 12 years ago. Alice and I were at a dinner with several other pastors, and um, it was a bunch of Presbyterians. So that was my intro kind of into the world of Presbyterians. That's how I kind of started hanging out with those people. And, um, and the meal was fantastic. It was homemade, and it was amazing. It was like almond-crusted salmon, smoked salmon, uh, rosemary scalloped potatoes. And I'm going to be honest, I don't have any recollection of what the potatoes were. They were really good. I had to look up like a fancy a fancy preparation of, of potatoes, and I saw rosemary scalloped potatoes, which sound delightful. Um, and it was amazing. We had good wine that came from a bottle, not a box, right? Not a box, right? Those with ears to hear. Um, and, and then my friend Kevin got up to pray. And this is the first time I'd ever heard a prayer framed like this uh, before a meal. And he said, God, thank you for friendship. Thank you for good food and for good drink. These are good gifts from you. May we eat and drink with glad and thankful hearts. And in my mind, I was like, and bless it to the nourishment of our body. <laughs> right, right, you meant that, right? Uh, we live and dwell and breathe the air and drink the water in a completely consumer-driven culture. And there is a very good chance that we don't think often, uh, very often, about most of the things that we just simply consume. Mostly food. Sometimes we think about it in terms of dietary, you know, how many calories or whatever. Um, my favorite Simpsons line of all time where Bart is asked to pray before the dinner, the family dinner, and Bart says, dear God, we worked really hard all week and made money and bought this food and prepared it, so really, thanks for nothing. <laughs> now, Bart is not the model nearly of Christianity that Ned Flanders is, but 
How many of us actually, how many of us actually participate in meals kind of with that same posture? <clears throat> Today we're going to talk about fasting. And before we talk about it, I want to let you know, I have done this in the past. I've, have, I've done this as a practice in the past. Uh, and I've experienced good while challenging times while fasting. Uh, but this is not something I have practiced for quite a while. Uh, I did a minor fast a couple weeks ago. I did 12 hours, and I was going to do a full 24 hours this past week just so I wouldn't stand before you as a hypocrite. And I remembered halfway through dinner that I was supposed to be fasting. <laughs> and I was like, well, all right. Um, so this is something that I believe is good and I think even necessary in our day. Uh, but um, this is, while, while I'm going to tell you, while I believe it and believe in it and believe it is good and potentially necessary, I don't practice it regularly. Um, so I'm preaching to all of us this morning. I'm always preaching to all of us, just so you know. Uh, but this morning in particular, I don't want, to, I don't want you to, have, to think any more highly of me than you ought. Uh, this is not something that I do regularly, but I felt the challenge this morning. Um, so this morning, we're going to simply look at the why and the how of fasting. And before we get there, I think we should also probably look at the what of fasting. Fasting in Scripture is, is the abstaining from food. That's what we see in Scripture. There are lots of different reasons for fasting. There's lots of different modes given for why to fast. Um, but it's, it is abstaining from food for a certain amount of time to focus on more spiritual matters. Usually, the, the practice is usually one day, 24 hours. Um, Christianity is not the only religion that has fasting. Well, almost every religion has fasting in it. And shoot, even the, the religion of secularism now has intermittent fasting where you, it's a way of losing weight. Uh, so, um, and... What makes it distinct is what we focus on, what we fixate on, the God that we worship. Uh, and I'll get to that in a, in a few minutes. Uh, in our day, we have applied fasting to other things, uh, not only food, but tech, chocolate, soda, alcohol, even sex. Biblically, it's almost exclusively food. Okay? Just so we're all on that page. So, let's get to the why and the how. Why do we fast? Throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, the only time that is mandated, there's only one day that is mandated to fast in the Hebrew Scriptures, and that is on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, if you remember, we went through this last year, uh, this is where the sins of the nation are brought before God with the hope that God would accept the offering laid before him for the forgiveness of sins, the atonement. And there was a whole huge procedure, and the people of Israel would fast for the day, and they would wait anxiously uh, for um, the priest to come out of the Holy of Holies and declare that God had accepted their sacrifice and that they have been forgiven. And so following that day, the Day of Atonement, uh, there would be a celebration. That being said, many devout believers, many devout believers, practiced fasting as a regular practice as a discipline, as a weekly thing. Uh, the motive was generally the same, to mourn the reality of the present world and to engage intentionally in the present suffering of this world. It was a time to mourn over sin, to mourn over injustice, the broken systems of the world, of Israel, to mourn over poverty, to deny ourselves the, pleasant, the uh, present pleasures and enter into a hunger. 
a way of identifying with those who are hungry. In essence, what fasting was was an intentional way of suffering, to focus on not only the realities of the pain of this world, but the hope of the next world. There was only one time, one event, where you could not fast. Anybody know what that event was? Wedding. A wedding. You could not fast at a wedding. Now, we're like, okay, but that's one day. All right, good weddings in our day go late into the night. Not in Israel. Good weddings in Israel went for a week. Even the rabbis were invited. You did not fast during a wedding. The wedding was the time to celebrate. So in Matthew, by the way, that second passage came from Matthew 9, 14 through 17. The first passage was in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. The second one, John the Baptist's disciples come up to Jesus' disciples and they're like, hey, we fast. The Pharisees are fasting. Why aren't your disciples fasting? Uh, it would have been a regular practice for the disciples of Jesus to fast uh, as a regular discipline, uh, especially being called into. Now, beforehand, who knows what they did, but what Jesus does here is actually gives us some beautiful insight into the new form or the new purpose, ultimate purpose of fasting. And he says, um, in, in Matthew 6, Jesus gives the warning about fasting. The Pharisees and other religious folk would fast regularly, and there could be a habit among some of them to kind of make it known that they were fasting. They would put dirt on their, face, on their faces or look a little disheveled or kind of maybe walk a little hunched over and, uh, and look a little dilapidated. And, um, and when someone may come up to them and say, hey, are you okay? What's going on? I'm fasting. It is my day of fasting. And probably, probably, for the most part, people were like, we don't have to ask you anymore. You've told us. Because you're not bumping. It's not in, like in our day where you just bump into them on the subway or we don't have a subway. At subway. <laughs> um, and, and so the goal was to kind of, and, and in fact, if you remember, the one encounter between the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? His prayer. I fast twice a week. Because one is not spiritual enough for me. So I fast twice a week. Right? And that's part of his, that's part of his out loud prayer. Um, so what happened with that, it, it was not a matter of fasting. It was a parade of self-righteousness. The strategy had become the goal. This certainly wouldn't have been all Pharisees. But, but apparently it was common enough. The strategy had become the goal. The goal for these guys was not communion with God. It was not mourning of sin. It was, uh, it was religious ritual and the appearance of righteousness. It was the self-media post. Self-media. Social media post. The selfie. Hashtag fasting. And I want... This is... Jesus warns us pretty heavy here. And he warns his people over and over again. These things aren't for show. There is a way to do things publicly that's not about self-promotion. There's also a way to do things publicly that is pure self-promotion. 
And this is a big deal. Basically, what Jesus says is if our motive for anything, if our motive for justice, if our motive for fasting, if our motive for prayer, if our motive for any of these things are more about flaunting our resume and self-promotion, they will be dismissed. In other words, what he, the way Jesus says it is, you have received your reward in full. Congratulations, you got 40 of these. Enjoy them. But when we get to chapter 9, Jesus is saying about his disciples, you don't fast during a wedding celebration because you're celebrating. It's the time for feasting. When Jesus walked the earth, it was his, it was his disciples' time to feast on him. This is the bread of life. This is the bridegroom. Bask in his presence. Absorb every moment. His teaching, his parables, his rebukes, his prayer, his presence, his suffering, his goodness, his calling out sin. Feast on all of that. Jesus in himself is a foretaste of what one day will be. There will not be fasting in heaven. There will not be fasting in eternity. Because heaven, whatever else it may be, whatever else we want to poke in there, like 80 degree weather without mosquitoes, um, whatever else heaven may be, what it will be is the presence of Jesus. And we will be filled with the bread of life. We will join him in the great feast where we raise our glasses high to his glory. What happens then, once Jesus ascends, his disciples practice fasting again. And fasting begins to take root in the church. And so they enter the morning uh, of this present world, intentionally suffer the weight of brokenness of this world with hunger for an anticipation, an anticipation of Christ's return. Now, here's what happens. In the old wineskins, on the Day of Atonement, people would fast in mourning and actually a bit of anxiety because their sacrifice might not be acceptable. In present day, in the light of Jesus, in the fullness of Jesus, we continue to fast and mourn our sin and injustice of the world and even our participation in it, but instead of the fear that our sacrifice might not be acceptable, we actually feast on the sacrifice that Christ has made that was made once and for all the new wine, Christ himself. And so we, this is, we mourn with confidence and assurance, but never indifference. We hope, but it's a certain hope. Fasting is intentionally suffering. It's intentionally mourning. It is coupled with prayer, meditation, and study. But it's not just a removal from the world around you to, to take more time to do those things. Um, uh, the foundation of fasting, uh, that fasting lays, is one of mourning our sin, mourning the world's injustice, the not yet of a broken world, suffering by denying what we would normally look at for sustenance, for nourishment, and for comfort, for therapy, for fulfillment, right? 
And food is not bad, but just like everything else, food can become God. When we fast, we step back and find our, our nourishment and our hope fully in Christ, right? It's not why is the bacon cheeseburger good. It's why is the bacon cheeseburger so good. When we fast, we remove our normal earthly comforts, and it's a way of stepping back, relying not what on this world can provide, but to evaluate, see if we're depending too much on the goods of this world, and intentionally feast on what Christ has done. So, the practicality of this. How do we fast? This is where we get super practical. Uh, I think the best chapter ever written on fasting that actually makes you want to fast is in a book called Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster. It's an old book. It's fantastic. That chapter is worth the price of the book. You should get it. There you go. I get no proceeds from the sale of that book that I'm aware of. Um, I need to go back and read it again, actually. This, a lot of this, uh, the how-to is based on that. Um, but uh, it, it, the, in a sense of irony, like he makes fasting appetizing. Uh, and I think it's good. Preparation. There is a way to prepare for fasting. It is to slow down uh, and, and take, and, and like to prepare not by eating more, but by eating less. When I was in seminary, uh, our church did a, uh, we did a day of fasting, and I think it was for a building program, and um, we did a day of fasting. And one of the friends that worked with me in the youth group, he went and loaded up like on, like on 23 jack-in-the-box tacos. All right? So many things wrong with that. Um, one, it's gross. That's gross. I, mean, I like jack-in-the-box tacos. They give you, I think, like two, and there's a reason why they give you two. That's enough. Um, and then you're mourning after that. Um, not only is it gross, actually, you will be more hungry if you load up. Plus, the goal of fasting is not to totally glutton, like to go all out and stuff yourself so that you're not hungry for the next 24 hours. That's not the goal. Right? Unless you were wondering, like, how can I shortcut this? Um, that's not it. Um, so, you actually slow down. A simple breakfast and a lighter lunch. Salad or, you know, something lighter at lunch. I would also suggest, in preparation from a spiritual standpoint before fasting, have a passage of scriptures, something you're wanting to memorize, something you've already memorized, uh, or, or a prayer that you have done, or if there is a um, particular spiritual practice uh, that you would like. To, we have some. Uh, I know that Tiffany has a, a, a workbook of those. Um, and uh, if you're looking to, to, to do that, to have a passage that you will quote often throughout the day, or a prayer that you will quote often throughout the day. Um, my suggestion for a full 24-hour fast, this is, this is basically what I've done, is to go from lunchtime to lunchtime. Find a day that works best where you can be present for communal mean, uh, meal time. This is not a time to withdraw, but to actually be fully present. Um, and, uh, and this is not a diet. This is not a diet. Okay? You may lose weight. You may, in the process of doing this, go, I need to see food differently. And you may eat differently, and you may become healthier, and you may lose weight. Great. Not the point, but great. Um, if you need to, and oftentimes I need to, 
uh, have some natural juice that you can drink throughout the 24-hour period. Uh, I would advise against too much sugar because that's not going to help you. It, it's not, you'll, you'll actually be hungrier. Um, and uh, again, in the practical, there, there, there might be medical issues for a 24-hour fast. I'd be suspicious. There's not a whole lot of medical issues that would come into play during that. But if you feel like you need to talk to a health professional, talk to your doctor or whatever before doing a fast, uh, then you can. If you did a longer fast, then, um, then you may want to uh, know a little bit more if you've had concerns in the past. But the hope is to go on about your day as normal on the outside, not to draw too much attention. But of course, it's not like people can't know, right? If, if you are fasting uh, and, and friends go out to lunch, there's a difference between going, hey, I'll go. I'm, I'm not going to have anything. I'm, I'm doing a thing right now, versus I'll go, but I'm not going to eat because I'm spiritual, right? There's a difference between like letting people know or even being with a few people that can help and encourage you and you can talk about some of these things versus like self-promotion. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's preparation. Uh, during the fast, I would suggest keeping a mental note of things that you notice while fasting. Uh, and uh, hopefully you're already aware of what I'm gonna give as the practice for today. Um, it shouldn't come out of left field. But um, keeping notes, mental notes, or a journal of things that you notice while you're fasting. How often did you have hunger pangs? Uh, again, Richard Foster gently but firmly tells, I appreciate his words on this. He said that our stomachs are like a spoiled child that we uh, have trained that we're going to feed it every so often. And so when it's mealtime, our stomachs are like, hey, mealtime. You are not starving. You need to know that. And eventually your stomach will go, nothing right now? All right. And like go back to sleep. Uh, and it's okay. But notice how often you feel them. When do you feel them? Notice how often you go to the pantry or the fridge. In the past when I fasted, I found myself standing in front of the pantry knowing that I can't eat. And I think there's a good reason why. When we're stressed, we eat. When we're bored, we eat. When we're excited, we eat. When we feel anxiety, we eat. What does this reveal to us about food and the way that we use food? We medicate, often. Focus on being present. Again, this is not a time to withdraw. Uh, in fact, quite the opposite. In, in a lot of ways, this is removing what we would normally use to distract us from being present. And even as I was typing up the sermon and thinking about that, I was like, okay, we should probably include tech with a the, with the day of fasting. We should probably include the phone during off hours, or at least make off hours, and say, when I'm home, when it's dinner time, the phone goes away. When, I'm time to, when it's time to be present, the phone goes away. Six days, you can surf. One day, right? And even like, if, if you watch a movie with the family, to be present and be there. Uh, and there's an Onion article about a mom banning uh, phones at mealtime because it was the only time they could watch TV together. 
It's a time to be present. Um, what, and, and, and when you're present, to actually begin there and say, what have I missed in my distractions of life? Uh, another thing to notice is um, how often do you have to consciously not eat? Has eating become almost an involuntary muscle? How often is eating not a discipline, a disciplined practice, but just like, almost like breathing or, or walking? Just do it. Um, and then, how often do you go back to your scripture? How often have, do you quote that during the day? And I'm not, you don't necessarily have to like write it down or mark how many times, but just be aware. When I felt this, when I stood in front of the pantry, I went back to Psalm 1, if that's past, lots of good passages. Uh, when I opened the fridge that one time, I had to go through the Lord's Prayer a few times and then close the fridge. Uh, how many times do I have to go back there? When I'm driving and I'm feeling it, when I'm getting hangry and I'm like, I really want to tear somebody's head off right now. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? Um, and then coming out of a fast. If it's just 24 hours, it should be fine. Uh, but if you go longer than that, even coming out of 24 hours, the goal is not get to lunch and then gorge, right? And then stuff everything you could find. Come out a little gentler. If you do a longer-term fast, I would caution you to come out much gentler. I speak from experience. Uh, some of this is legendary. A few years ago, I fasted during Holy Week. I didn't even drink coffee. Coffee is a suppressant, which, and, and it can be okay, I think, in the mornings, and, unless you determine not to. But I had fasted the whole week, didn't have coffee. Had a whole thing of coffee before the Easter sermon and shouted my entire Easter sermon uh, that was supposed to be an hour long, and I think it went 20 minutes. And you're like, you should fast more often. Um, also... Easter Sunday afternoon is notorious, ironically, I think, maybe, for deviled eggs, right? And if you haven't eaten for a week, deviled eggs are not the thing you want to start with. That's the thing I started with. Uh, take all those warnings. But even after just a 24-hour fast, re-enter slowly. Don't just kind of go back and, and fill up all that was lacking. And then what are your takeaways? What are your takeaways the things that you would notice after a fast. And I can put all this, uh, I'll, I'll give a brief outline and put all this on the, on the app if anybody's interested. Um, again, Richard Foster's words, you may finish it the first few times if you try this and do this as a practice. You may finish and feel a sense of accomplishment. Here again, not the point, but it's okay. It's okay to go, I did it. I did it. I can do it. And maybe a little pat on the back. And maybe a little rejoicing, and maybe a little celebration. Um, but then some other things. Did this affect your appreciation for food? Does it mean something different to eat with glad and thankful hearts? What will your prayers look like before a meal after fasting? Does it change the way you see food, your appreciation for food? How does it affect your view of the present world, of suffering in the world, of hunger, of injustice? Did you enter into spaces and thoughts that the conveniences of this world that we enjoy often prohibit, prohibit us from ever having to enter? Did you hurt 
for injustice and for the suffering in our present world? Did that get tapped at all? Did you find yourself longing for a feast? Longing for the one day. Longing for when Christ will come and remove suffering and put the world to right. Did you see the ways of self-denial and how much in our world we really don't ever do that? We live in a world where everything is immediate. And if it's not immediate, we get furious. Where we are told in our consumerism to enjoy and feast like natural appetites on everything possible. And to practice self-denial to experience the joys and fulfillments that can happen in other ways when we deny our surface-level appetites. Early church fathers would talk often about actually looking forward to their day of fasting. That their mouth would water, that they had such sweet times with Jesus. They would, they would anticipate them. All right. Application. You ready? Does anybody want to get up and leave real quick? All right, here's what we're going to do. Our practice, our assignment, should you choose to accept it. Doesn't have to be this week, but to make a plan... I want to challenge us as a church. We have a building need. That's not why we're doing this, all right? To practice a 24-hour fast one day a week for four weeks, for at least four weeks. Again, I think lunch to lunch is good. Pick a day. Talk about it with, if you want some uh, measure of accountability, maybe it's with a friend, maybe it's with a spouse, maybe it's with your GC, talk about it. Encourage one another, journal your thoughts and talk about those things, what you're learning, what you're seeing. Is there a passage you're memorizing? What are the struggles? What are the successes? What are the failures? What's hard? What's good? And I, I'm going to commit to this as well. Um, and I already had a, a, a Chris, my pastor friend from Memphis, I, we were texting this morning about we're going to commit to this again together. These practices, the spiritual disciplines, hear me. This is not punishment. This is a gift from God. This is a gift from God to be enjoyed to, experiencing, to experience him deeply and richly, to feast on things that we often forfeit, especially when we live and dwell in a world of distraction. This is not a magic wand. This is not a fix-all. It's not like you fast once. And you're like, I did it. I should experience the full revelation here and like all, everything should go well. It's not. Um, 
But it's something that, it, it is an invitation to feast deeply on the bread of life. And it's something that, that I often so easily forfeit because I get caught up in the crumbs of this world. So, what are your thoughts, Refuge? You want to give it a shot? I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not writing it down. So you can be like, maybe. Let's give it a shot. Let me pray for us. God, I, I am going to confess. I often, I, I settle for, for counterfeit. Um, you have given us ways and means and practices in your word and then throughout history of experiencing your goodness, of, of, of feasting on you. And all of the things that I can say are good about this world, there's good food, there's quick food, most people, most people do not have to wonder where or if their next meal is coming. I rejoice in that. I rejoice that hunger, at least in our world, is down. It's not gone, but it's down. But I don't ever have to worry about that for me, or I haven't. And so, so many of the things that are your gifts, I just take for granted. I presume. I work, I make money. I provide food. What do I need you for? And I may never say that out loud, but man, there are times when that's definitely my heart posture. This is not a punishment. This is not a dare. This is not a pathway to super spirituality. This is not something we put on our resumes. This is actually a gift from you to feast deeply, to sit at the table of the king, to evaluate the things that maybe we're putting too much hope in, to see things that we have ignored. So I pray, maybe just over the next few weeks, you would kind of part the waters of our schedules of our distractions, of our excuses, of the things that we can so often just be like, well, but it's busy. And help us to fight for this. To fast regularly. To dine with you. Give us grace and mercy. I pray that this would be such a deep appeal to our souls and our hearts and our minds that you would make yourself known through this. In Jesus' name, amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.